always does. So I was actually able to put together sort of a message for you today, which I'm excited about, I'm a little bit nervous about. Not nearly as nervous as when I have to do this at school, though. I think because I know your family and you'll love me no matter what. I mean, I think they will too, but you know, so I'm a little less nervous than usual. But um, I kind of, I, I have a core reality, I have all that jazz, I have an outline, so you just get ready. And you're gonna get to experience a little bit, hopefully you'll have a taste of how I teach too by the end of this, because you're gonna get to see sort of the same way. I'm not talking about history, which I get really passionate about, I jump up on tables and stuff. I, but I get passionate about Jesus, too, so maybe if there was a table up here, I'd jump up on it. So you'll get to see a little bit. I know my principal really doesn't like when I do that. And I'm like, hey, it's exciting. The kids like it. I'm going to do it until I fall and break something. So, uh, so you'll get a sense of that, too. So what I want to talk about today um, is uh, this. Learning and teaching at ICSB. God is working on me, and because he's working on me, I can work on others be through him, Right? And, uh, and the thing is about teachers, the best teachers are good teachers because they never stop learning and they never stand up at the front of the room and say, I know everything, sit under my wisdom and learn, right? That is not the kind of teacher I am and I hope it's not the kind of teacher anybody else in this room is if you're a teacher. Teachers are good teachers because they know they don't know everything. And in fact, they know they don't know much of anything at all, but they know how to look. They know how to find answers, and they know how to guide their students to teach them how to be able to do that through their whole lives, too, to learn, to keep learning, right? So that's kind of how I like to approach life. I love learning. I love learning new things. I'm constantly telling my parents, telling my roommate, guess what I read today? Look what I learned today. Like, it's, some of it's really stupid, like stuff about celebrities. Like, I'm waiting for, I think on Game Show Network last week, I saw a game show. I can't remember the name of it. And I was like, this is my show. I've been waiting for a show that's just all about knowing really stupid, useless information about famous people. Because I think I could really do well at that show. I need to figure out what it was called and apply because I think I could win. So, because I just love taking in new information and reading new things. So, this year was a lot of learning for me. And what that did was allow me uh, to, to then pass that information on, to pass on what God was doing in my life and what God was teaching me. Um, and he did that through three ways. So I actually have a core reality because all of those things were terrifying. Have you noticed how often adulthood is terrifying? Right? I'm actually going to tell you from a TV show, if there's any kids in the room, do not ever let your parents tell you you can't learn from TV because you can. I learn from TV all the time. There's a TV show called The Middle. Does anybody see that show? It was like nine seasons long. It's super hilarious. Uh, it's about a family, the Heck family. What a name. And, uh, and the mom, uh, her name is Frankie. She's not a very good mom. She's an average mom. I mean, that's the point of the show. It's called The Middle. Literally everything about it is average. The family is average. They fight all the time. She's kind of, she's not a great mom. Her kids are not great kids. Her husband is not a great husband. It's just sort of that kind of life, right? But at the last season, um, their son, Axel, who's just recently graduated from college, he's out looking for a job. And he's always been a total screw-up and kind of a jerk, like his whole life. And uh, they're at the store. He and his mom are at the store, and she wants to buy something, and she realizes she forgot her wallet at home. How often does that happen? My parents think I do it on purpose because we go to the store, and I'm like, I forgot my wallet. I did it last night, and I got some new shorts. And I was like, sorry. So it just happens, right? We forget our wallets. So Axel, he pulls his debit card out of his sock and gives it to her. 
and pays for whatever she was going to buy. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Why don't you have a wallet? And he's like, I don't know. This is, this is my sock. It works. It's good. And so she's kind of freaking out on him about not having a wallet. She's like, you're an adult now. You need to carry a wallet. You need to be responsible and all this stuff. And anyway, the show goes on, and they're sitting down, and he's talking about he's trying to get a new job and all this stuff. And he just sits and he says, Mom, I'm scared all the time because I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going to screw up. I'm afraid I'm going to see I'm crying, and it's about a dumb TV show. He says, I'm scared all the time. And she says, you know, I think that's how you know you're an adult, even more than carrying a wallet. <laughs> like, life is scary. We live in a scary world, and everything is scary all the time. Right? I'm talking to you, babe. Everything is scary all the time. But it's when we're scared that we have no choice but to rely on God. Right? No choice. And when we rely on God, we open our eyes, we open our ears, and we say, God, help me. And guess what happens? We grow, we learn, we develop, right? Okay, I'm going to stop crying now. So that's your core reality. Put it up for me because I already forgot it. <laughs> Discomfort leads to dependence and development. I had to do my Ds, but development is a fancy teacher word for learning. <laughs> okay? Discomfort, sometimes terror, sometimes fear, sometimes pain, whatever it might be, right? Discomfort leads us to dependence, which leads to development. That's what I want to talk about today. And that's kind of where these three situations put me. I do not like, believe it or not, talking in front of people. <laughs> I've gotten okay at it over the years because I've had to do it. And that's, that's what it is, right? God has made me uncomfortable. I've had to say yes to things that make me uncomfortable. And I've gotten a little bit less uncomfortable. Okay, not a lot, a little bit. So that's what happened this year. So the first thing I want to talk about, and it's kind of... This is kind of an inception-y outline, because I'm not really going to talk about the discomfort. Those are the discomfort, de dependence, development. That's not really uh, the main gist of the talk. It kind of is, but that's the lead-in to say that God made me uncomfortable by asking me to do three things this year that I didn't want to do. And I had to say yes, because I knew he wanted me to, and that taught me some things. And it opened the door to teach my students some things. And the thing is, is that all three of these things I want to talk about today asked my students to do something that made them uncomfortable, that causes them to grow in who they are and in their faith. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going today. So the first lesson, so there's three lessons, plan, purpose, and priority. Okay, so the first lesson is the plan. And this is it. God has a plan. And he will work it to completion no matter what, period, full stop. No matter what, okay? I learned this uh, in the story of Hagar. You know where Hagar is? Genesis 16, 21. She's a, a, a significant but sort of small part in the story of Abraham and Sarah in the, in the beginning. So uh, this was how God made me uncomfortable to start. In uh, September... So we have, we have chapel every Wednesday at ICSB, every Wednesday afternoon. And um, we have different speakers. Sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's other, uh, and then the parents are missionaries, right? And a lot of these people are like theologians. They've written commentaries and books and gone to college for Bible and done all this stuff, right? And then other times it's teachers and, uh, or um, I, they just get different people all the time. So they asked me uh, in early September, if I would speak in chapel and share my testimony, my faith story. They do this series sometimes called Fories. They're faith stories. And I was like, yes, 
that is easy. That doesn't make me uncomfortable at all. I love sharing my story. I love sharing my story with my kids because it's a powerful story, right? If you know the story of our family and the, the path that we have walked through, uh, the, the strength to our faith that came through tragedy, uh, then you know our, the story is powerful. And I haven't told it in a long time since we had a student actually pass away five years ago. That's the last time I really told that story. So I was like, yes, faith story, I am in. I'll do it. It requires almost no preparation. I love it. But then they told me the date, and mom and dad were going to be there with me. And so I said, you know, I, I, don't, I better not do it. But I would love to do it at a later date. Please ask me to do it at a later date. So that's what I thought they were going to do. So in November, they come back and they say, so we know that you had said that you'd like to speak in chapel at a later date, so that later date is here. And I was like, great, I'm in. And they said, but we don't want you to give your testimony. We want you... To, to speak in this series called Small Story, Big Impact, and choose someone from the Bible to speak about. And I was like, no, 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 no. That is not what I agreed to. I agreed to share my testimony, not have to like dig in and teach you meat from the Bible. I'm, I don't want to do that. And they were like, okay, well, we'll find somebody else. And I was like, no, 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 fine, I'll do it. So I agreed to do it, and it was kind of funny because I had just seen, well, it's not a coincidence, like Dad said, it's not a coincidence. I had just seen... Like on Facebook, you know, you're just scrolling through 99% idiocy and 1% good stuff on Facebook. And somebody had, there was like a meme about Hagar and who she had been in the Bible. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I wonder if it's true. Because that's what we should all do. When we read a post on Facebook, the first thing we should say is, I wonder if that's true. The second thing we should do is go to Google and find out if it's true. If it is true and we really like it, the third thing we should do is share it. Right? That should be the third thing. Just, that's a tip. Uh, so, <laughs> I was like, I wonder if that's true. And then they asked me to speak in chapel, and I was like, well, this is a good opportunity for me to find out if it's true. I will talk about Hagar. So I started researching Hagar, and I just learned so many cool things. And this is the other thing. Because I, I, uh, I believe that I'm a teacher who recognizes that I don't know very much at all, I'm very good at stealing things from other people. Okay, it's not stealing. I credit them, right? But I never go into one of these and go, hmm, I wonder what I have to say to people. I think, hmm, what have other people already said? People who I trust, people who, I, who know the Bible. How can that inform my thinking, right? So I started reading what other people had said about Hagar, how they had dug into her life. And it's a really cool story, and I don't have time to read you all of these. See, I marked all of these in my Bible today. I can't, I'm not going to read hardly any of them. Uh, but you can look them up. I've got them all in the program. Uh, Hagar's story goes in Genesis 16 and 21, and it really starts in Genesis 12, uh, where he begins to work in Abram, and he begins to move him uh, in the direction of the covenant, which happens in 15. And then, um, like, Abram and Sarah do a bunch of stupid stuff, you know, like they go into this one city, and, and Abram is scared, and so he's like, tell him you're my sister, everything will be okay. And then, so they take her, they, he, she gets put into the house of the Pharaoh or something, and, and then the Pharaoh finds out that this is not, in fact, Abram's sister, but his wife, and he's like, what is wrong with you? Even then, which, where that was totally normal, Pharaoh stops, and he knows, without God, without a moral compass, this is messed up. He's like, what is wrong with you? Why did you tell me she was your sister if she's your wife? Get out of here. Take everything and go. And that's probably where they got Hagar, actually, is that she had become a maid in Sarai's house as part of the Pharaoh's uh, uh, family. 
right? So Hagar goes with him. So now Hagar is an Egyptian female slave, right? She is nobody. She is nothing, okay? She's just this random chick in their house. And Abram and Sarah are trying to get pregnant, right? And they try for how long? Does anybody know? Ten years. Ten years they're trying to have a baby. Which, can you imagine? Can you imagine the stress on their relationship? So you kind of like, when you look at how Abram and Sarah behave, you're kind of like, okay, you're stressed. Things are really difficult. I can kind of understand why you're being such jerks. But still, like, it's not very cool, right? They're sinning. Hagar has, does some things wrong. This is a great story of everybody sinning and still being the recipients of God's promises. Because Abram, he's messing up, right? Sarah, she's sick and tired of not having a baby. Oh, I meant to start my stopwatch. Oh, oh. Starting now. This, the talk starts now. So <laughs> uh, Sarah's like, okay, listen, this isn't working. Take Hagar and get her pregnant. And Hagar goes, huh? I didn't sign up for that. No, she doesn't say anything because she can't. She's nobody, right? So Abram does it. He, he marries Hagar. He gets her pregnant. And Sarah's ticked about it, if you can believe it. Because when Hagar realizes she's pregnant, she gets a little, she's, she's not very nice. Because she knows if she got pregnant right away, the problem isn't Abraham. The problem is Sarah. So she starts lording it over Sarah a little bit, you know, being kind of snarky with her, kind of rubbing it in her face, until Sarah cannot take it. And it says in the Bible that Sarah, it says the word they use dealt harshly with her or whatever. It's the same word in the original for the oppression of the slaves in Egypt. Sarah oppresses Hagar to the point that Hagar runs. She cannot take it for one more second. It's so miserable that she runs away from this. And can you imagine, Sarah has prayed for a child for 10 years. And because of custom and law, this child that Hagar's carrying is not Hagar's child. It's Sarah and Abram's. Hagar has no rights. And so she deals so harshly with Hagar that, that she chases her away, carrying her child, right? How must she have felt in that moment? So Hagar runs out to the desert and, and uh, things are bad. I mean, you, if you've ever been in a desert, they don't have water fountains. Uh, and so she's dying. And she sits down in the, in the sand, and she's, she's crying. She's desperate. She doesn't know what to do. And I want to, um, uh, there's so much more to the story that makes me laugh and also makes me a little bit sad that I don't have time to talk about. But basically, she's sitting. Uh, she actually finds uh, a spring of water, and she's sitting next to it. And she's just kind of, she has nowhere to go. She has nothing. She has no family. She has no rights. She's in a foreign land. Uh, she's a total outcast. And an angel of the Lord finds her and speaks to her and says, where have you come from? Where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress. And the angel of the Lord says, go back and submit to her authority. And Hagar says, no. No. I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? Just kidding. That's not what she says. The angel does this, and this is what's really cool about this story. And this is what's really cool for us. He says to Hagar, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Does that sound familiar? That's from the covenant with Abram. 
where he says, I will give you, go out and see the stars, I will give you more descendants than you can count. He says that to Hagar. He gives her the promise. And then he says, you're pregnant now. You will give birth to a son. Name him Ishmael, which means God hears, which is important in the story later. And she's not bothered. She doesn't freak out. She doesn't faint. She's like, an angel is talking to me. Okay, I'll sit here. I'll listen. She doesn't run away. And then the angel leaves. And she says, and this is, this is uh, so this is the first, first point. Um, what we see is that God's promises always come to fruition. This was one of my takeaways from that chapel talk that day. God's promises always come to fruition. And it says in, in uh, Genesis 20, when Sarah gives birth to Isaac, it says, and God did exactly what he had promised, right? Which was a nice textual reminder for us, because sometimes we, we tend to forget that, right? God's promises always come to fruition. And there's a little question of this, because people are like, well, yeah, but that's Abram's promise. He's just saying that to Hagar to get her to go back. No, because he's going to reiterate it when she's never going back in chapter 21. So after all of this happens, Hagar does something that no one else in the Bible has done. She is the only one. He gives the promise... He reiterates the promise. I will give you more descendants than you can count. He doesn't say, I'm going to give Abram more descendants than he can count, and I'm going to use you to do it. He says, no, I will give you more descendants than you can count. So he leaves, and she says, what just happened? And she stops, and she says, have I seen the one who sees me? And she names God. She's the only person in the Bible that I can tell that I've, in the research I've done who gives God a name that speaks to who he is to her. And she names him El Roy, which is the God who sees. Go ahead, Brad, uh, to the next one. He sees her, and he sees you, right? She is nobody. She's an Egyptian. She's a woman, okay? Think about where women are now, that's not where they were 2,000 years ago, right? She is a nobody. And he says, I will make a great nation out of your descendants. He sees her, and she recognizes who he is to her, and she names that. She says, this is the God who sees me, who knows me, who cares for me, who has a plan for me, right? And so she gets up, and she goes back to Sarah. She gives birth to the baby, and, and, and we don't hear much for a long time. Like, they kind of go off, and we hear about Lot and, and his wife turning into salt, and we hear about all that kind of stuff. And they come back, and now Abram and Sarai are Abraham and Sarah. So things have changed. It's been about 17 years or so more. So about 25 years, Sarah still doesn't have a baby that came from her. And God gives the promise. They laugh, right? They get in trouble because they don't really believe him. Like, this house is pretty normal. And, uh, and she gets pregnant, and she gives birth to Isaac. A couple of years after that, it says in the Bible, when Isaac was being weaned, so he was probably two, three years old, uh, Sarah sees what she thinks is Ishmael making fun of Isaac, and she loses it. She says, get that woman and her son out of my sight. She can't take it anymore. She's gotten her promise, right? She got the answer to her promise in Isaac. Ishmael is nothing to her. She's been raising this child for 17 years. 
and she says, get them out. Okay, and I'm not trying to paint Sarah as the villain of the story, right? I'm trying to get you to understand, to get me to understand that even the heroes of our faith are dirty sinners. And that we are all in need of God's grace, right? And we see it throughout the Old Testament. So she sends them out, and now they're out in the desert again, and they're dying. She puts uh, Ishmael under a bush, and she goes off because she doesn't want to watch her child die. And the angel shows up again and says, what are you doing? And she said, we're just waiting here to die. And he says, don't you remember? I said, I will make a great nation out of you. Get up. <laughs> Drink some water. And they, 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 a well appears. Get up. Drink some water and keep moving. Right? He reiterates the promise. He doesn't have to. Right? He made the, the great nation. He will make that through the line of Isaac. He doesn't have to reiterate the promise to Hagar. But he does. He says, I will make a great nation out of your descendants. So get up. Get going. Now, have you ever thought about, this is kind of what's going to move me into the next point. Uh, the line of Hagar goes to who? Do you know? Muhammad, the founder of Islam. Could God, this is where we ask that question, why does God allow things like that to happen? In that moment, could God have just let Ishmael and Hagar die and we would not have to deal with Islam today? Yeah. Why didn't he? Because he has a plan. You know, there's a great Nike commercial going on right now. I see it on Hulu all the time that talks about if you want to be really good, you've got to have somebody trying to take you down because that will push you to work. It will push you to fight, right? So do you think that maybe God has a plan in the fact that Islam is the fastest growing religion? I got it. I'm good. The fastest growing religion in the world? What if it didn't exist? You think we'd be sitting here in complacency because Christians are the best? No. We are motivated because we need to tell people about Jesus because there are others out there telling people that Jesus is nothing. And if he had let Hagar and Ishmael die, what would have happened? Right? God has a plan. Brad hit it. God has a plan. And the best news is, is you, me, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, nobody is so important that you can screw it up. You cannot screw up God's plan for this world. You cannot screw up God's plan, okay? Now, when you screw up, will you face consequences? Sarah was tormented by her actions, right? So yeah, we create bad things for ourselves. Other people create bad things for us because we're sinful. But no matter what, it's all small potatoes because God has a plan and he is going to finish it no matter what. And you can't mess that up and I can't mess that up. And that's great news. It takes a lot of pressure off, right? So that was the story of Hagar. That happened in November. Uh, and so that's the plan, right? When I realize that God has a plan, I can step back and say, okay, God, you work your plan, but I have a purpose, right? I think, uh, Stacy, Stacy, I'm talking to you a lot because I was listening to podcasts the last couple of days. Uh, and one thing is where we talk about, well, I can just sit back and I don't have to do anything to try to make things better, right? Well, kind of, no, because God has a plan, but you do have a purpose, we have a job to do, okay? The first thing is that I have to recognize in my purpose 
what it is. And my purpose is to accept Christ and live out of the identity that he has given me, that I have received when I became a chosen child of God. I am a chosen child of God. I tell my kids that all the time. We went to a freshman challenge in September, and their good night, I would stand at the door with all the lights off and say good night to my group of freshman girls with things like this. You are a chosen child of God. You are beloved by him. Right? Because we need to be reminded of that. So the second thing was basketball season that made me really uncomfortable. I have been coaching basketball at ICSB for eight years, but always as an assistant coach. I have no interest in being the head coach. That is not my thing. Shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so this year, they said, we'd like you to be the head coach. And I said, no. Then I said, OK, fine. Which is kind of like, this is the thing uh, that uh, Stacy reminded me again. I should have warned you that I was going to talk about you all day. Um, she talked about missionaries. You know, we kind of, we kind of think of missionaries as like they, they trust in God a lot more. Well, no. And we hold, I, I feel like my mom asked me, she said, because you're a missionary, do you ever feel like you have to act a certain way in front of people? No, I don't. Because you need to know who I really am. And if I start acting all hoity-toity, churchy, that's not who I am. And that, you know, like I, and I spend all my time telling my kids to stop doing that. Stop putting on a show. Stop trying to be perfect. I know you're not perfect. You're not fooling anybody. So be who you are, right? So missionaries are no different, right? We're scared. You're scared. We're trusting God. You're trusting God. Sometimes we just have to go a few miles away, right? Uh, sometimes missionaries are trusting God not to get blown up, right? A little more often than, than we are, hopefully, but... Um, but we are, I forgot my point because I really wanted to say that. Um, but yeah, like we are, are trusting God in the small things, in the big things, in whatever it is, because I don't, but, but it's, it's, I think, oh, that's what it was. As a missionary, I have a, maybe a little bit less freedom to say no when I get asked to do something I don't want to do, Right? Like, I think maybe, maybe that's not true for you guys. I think maybe just living in your, your lives here, when somebody asks you to do something, you're in like, I don't want to do that. You just go, eh, maybe next time. Thanks for asking, right? But in a small missionary community, there's not really a backup plan. So you don't feel as free to just be like, meh, maybe next time. I've actually been working on learning how to say no, because I don't do it very often. Um, so they asked me to do the basketball thing, and I really didn't want to do it. I didn't feel qualified. I didn't know what to do. I'm not really a strategy person, you know. And, and I started just sort of ruminating on it. And um, God gave me this. And I, I will tell you a little bit how. And I have a really cool story about actually uh, how this played out. And I want to do, I do want to keep watching my time, though. So I said yes to the basketball season. And I decided that we were going to have this theme. So I work out with this um, Christian ministry called Revelation Wellness. Um, and they, it's a great, it's really fun. They work, it's workout videos and things like that, Facebook groups, uh, just all from the foundation of, of um, we get healthy and whole so that we can love God. And, and so I was working out with that, and they published this identity journal called Declaring the Truth of Your God-Given Identity, and it had 21 declarations of who I am in Christ. And I thought, I'm going to use this. 
So we did. Each week, we had a different declaration that was our theme for that week, and all of our pre-practice devotions were geared toward that uh, declaration. And um, I wanted to share just a few of them with you today that kind of leads me through, we're talking about my, pur- my purpose, who I am, and what my purpose on this earth is, and how that becomes my priority. Okay, so the first thing um, that God, uh, that I want to share with you is um, who you are. If you have chosen Christ and you are trusting in him, you are a purveyor of contagious hope. You are a purveyor of contagious hope. And you can read in 1 Thessalonians, you can read in Hebrews 10, you can read in Proverbs 12, 25, who you are as someone who has hope because of Jesus because of the grace of Jesus, because he has saved you. You have hope. And you don't get to keep that hope to yourself. You are to spread that hope. Right? I'm going to talk about them a couple of times. I did not know uh, the Clint family. I I don't know if I ever even met them. Um, And yet, um, there's a couple things to address today. But the first one is, I don't know if you've seen, if you know them or you know anybody who knows them on Facebook, there's been a couple of posts already. And, and they're not posts of, uh, there's, a, there's some anger, deservedly so. But you know what those posts are about? The hope of Christ. People who loved Bob and Melissa and, and Kent and, and Landon are sharing about the surety that they have that they are rejoicing with Jesus today because of hope. They are spreading contagious hope in the midst of unspeakable tragedy. That's what we're supposed to do, guys. We are purveyors of contagious hope. Sorry. (laughs) The next one, go ahead, Brad, because I I never got my outline out. That would help me. (laughs) We are lovers of God and lovers of people. Sometimes that's hard. I know a few people that's really hard. We are lovers of God and lovers of people. That is who he created us to be. This is our identity in him, is to love him and to love people, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second of these is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. Full stop. Love God and love people. This is who you are. Thirdly, I... And powerful because Christ, the hope of glory, lives in me. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 and 10, and 4, 7 to 18, which I am actually going to read you because I starred that one. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. You know, uh, trading my sorrows? We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is, uh, this is Paul um, talking. 
It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, no matter how bad it is, your troubles are light and momentary. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. No matter what it is, right, this too shall pass. It's light and momentary in the view of God's plan, God's sovereignty, and our eternity. Praise Jesus for that, right? Lastly, and this is what I want to tell the story about, I am forgiven and free, therefore, therefore my joy is pervasive and overwhelms all circumstances. Brad, can you hit that, please? I am forgiven and free. That's from them. The second part is from me. I added the second part. Therefore, my joy is pervasive and overwhelms all circumstances. No matter how much life seems like it stinks, if you love Jesus, your joy is pervasive. Does it mean you have to act bubbly and happy all the time? No. But does it mean that you know that the, the troubles are temporary and that you have joy because you're going to spend eternity with Jesus? You betcha. You betcha. And that's what really matters. And that's what I want to talk about. So, basketball season. This is a fun story, I promise. If you're getting bored, wake up. This is a funny story. So, basketball tournament. So, we have this huge basketball tournament in February of every year. And we have five or six schools come from all over Europe. From Russia. We've had them from Ukraine. From Ukraine usually comes. From uh, Bulgaria. From Austria. They come from all over. Okay. So this year we were really struggling because one of our teams from Moscow, they were just couldn't get the money together, and so they weren't going to come. So we definitely had to have another girls team, and we needed another boys team. So we had a new family that came this year that used to be missionaries in Moscow. And so one, the husband had coached on a local club team in St. Petersburg. So he said, well, we could ask this team if they want to come. And, um, and Terry said, our, our AD, our athletic director said, they can only come if they bring a girls team. Because we were desperately, we were looking at Hungarian club teams and Terry would look at the website and he would see the scores of how they were beating their opponents. He'd be like, no, no, you can't come. Because they were winning like 90 to 12. <laughs> He's like, no, no, you can't come. <laughs> so we said, you can only come if you bring a girls team. So they said, okay, we can do that. So we're like, okay, great. We have no idea. Like we know what the other schools are like. We have no idea what this team's gonna be like. Okay, because they're what they're telling us this whole time is, they're pretty similar in quality. That was a lie from the devil. Okay? I think they were talking about the boys' team. <laughs> so they get there the day of the tournament. They came early, and they're practicing in the gym. And I go to watch them because, you know, I'm trying to be a good coach, so I go to scout them a little bit. And I'm like, uh-uh. Something's not right here. <laughs> and so I went to Terry, and he said, yeah, I just found out that the girls' team they brought, because we told them they couldn't come without a girls' team, so they went to the only girls team they knew, which is a sports school in St. Petersburg. They're nationally ranked in Russia. 
And I was like, cool, cool. This is going to be fun. And I was like, let's just hope the girls don't find out. Because <laughs> we were supposed to play them Thursday right after school. I was like, maybe they won't find out. Yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, one of our, our players, she's Bulgarian, but they lived in St. Petersburg for a long time, so she speaks Russian. So she was down there right away, meeting the girls and, and welcoming them and stuff. And she found out very quickly how good they are. And she spread the word. So by the time we got to our pregame, uh, the girls were a little shaky. You know, they, they're, we're used to winning this tournament most years. And, uh, and so they were being confronted with an uncomfortable situation, to say the least. And I said, okay. And I'm not going to be the kind of coach that stands up there and goes, if you play really hard, you're going to win. That's a lie. So I said, listen, we might play as hard as we can. We might not. We're That's okay. That's great. We're going to reflect Jesus, right? And so before we even started the tournament, I said, what are our goals? What do you want to accomplish with this tournament? And this is what they gave me. So I had written on the board all of our declarations. I am his workmanship. I am a chosen child of God. I am forgiven and free. I am unoffendable because of the blood of Jesus. I do not let persecution persuade me to fear. We had all these different things, right, about who we are. And I said, tell me your goals, okay? This is what they said. Cherish every moment. Pervasive joy. Be joyful even when I don't feel happy. Meet new people. Stay calm. Be kind. Glorify God in all things. I did not influence any of this. I just want you to know. I didn't say anything. I just said, tell me your goals. Reflect Jesus. Have fun. Patience and grace. No anxiety. Unity. You know what's my favorite thing about this list? There is not one thing about basketball. Not one. There's no, we want to win. We want to uh, score 35 points. We wanna, there's nothing about basketball. Because they get that that's not the point of the basketball tournament. This is the point, right? I was crying, telling them how proud I was of them for making this list. Like, this is it. But then it's easy to make a list, right? <laughs> it's not necessarily so easy when, when, uh, when the rubber hits the road and you actually have to do it. So they went out to uh, play the game. And it was as bad as we feared. Um, I think that they were up, I don't even know what the score was at halftime, but I know we lost about 87 to 12. And that was the closest game of the whole weekend for them, for the Russian team. Um, and so halftime hit, and we were, you know, they were a little frustrated, they were doing pretty good. We were kind of pep talking them, and, I, and they came in for halftime, and I said, okay, it's fine. <laughs> what are we gonna do to show Jesus to these girls for 20 more minutes and have fun? I said, do you think about that? And so the starting five went out to the court, and they huddled up. And uh, when they came out of that huddle, it was like a light switch had gone off. And their smiles were back. And they were full of life and joy. And I had multiple people come up to me over the course of the weekend and say, that was amazing. We saw the moment that they decided to be joyful and that they decided to to reflect Christ to the other team. This is not a Christian school that comes. The, the Russians were the only non-Christian teams at the tournament. And they went out and they played that second half. They got absolutely destroyed. But they were laughing and smiling and encouraging the Russians and high-fiving them when they made a good play. My favorite, Hannah Peck, she's a, she's a great uh, young lady. And she, there was, she got, like, 
showed up for a layup and just got completely stuffed by this big, tall Russian, like completely slammed the ball down. And Hannah just looks at her and goes, nice, and keeps running. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want, right? That's great. So it was really cool to see them live that out in a really tough circumstance. And the Russian girls, very quickly, they were talking to, to Laura, who speaks Russian after the game, and they're like, we've never seen anything like this. People are cheering for you <laughs> because nobody comes to their games. They're nationally ranked in Russia, and nobody comes to their games. And, she's, and they also said, people are cheering for us. What's going on? And they're like, well, we love you, and we love this sport, and we love what you're doing. And by the end of day one, they were like, can we come back next year? And we were like, no. <laughs> we love you, but no. <laughs> but it was just really great. They were ministered to through the teams that they played over the weekend and through the people who cheered for them and encouraged them and told them how great they did because they never get that, ever. So then it went on. Like, it didn't just stop when basketball season ended. Basketball season ended. These are the girls. They took this on my iPad. They do that when I leave it sitting around. They set the background. It's kind of fun. I, if they set the background, I leave it there until somebody else does it. Uh, so this is still my background, I think. Um, this was before a game. And you can see they're just being joyful. They're having fun, right? So this continued on because a few weeks later, so our elementary school, they have chapel on Wednesdays as well. And what they do is that a different grade level actually leads the chapel every week, all the way down to pre-first, which I think is crazy. I'd love to see that sometime. So I think it was the first grade who was leading chapel. And I was talking to my friend, who's the first grade teacher, and she said, oh, they're leading chapel next week, and um, I'm trying to figure out what they should do. I said, well, what are they talking about? She said, joy. And I said, I have an idea. Uh, why don't you get Nola and Haley, my two captains, I said, why don't you get them to talk about the basketball tournament? Talk about that moment and what they said and what they decided. Because all those kids were there watching it happen. All those kids look up to the high school kids. I said, why don't you have them share? And so they recorded themselves gave a video, and they played that in chapel. So that determination, right, us talking about identity, putting that into them, allowed them then to then go on and put it into the next, right? So they're purveyors of contagious hope and joy because they're forgiven and free, right? So I love that. Those are my favorite things that happened all year was just actually seeing, because you don't always get to see fruit, uh, as a missionary, but to getting to see that, getting to see them living out and being intentional about living in the identity that Christ has given them. So the thing is, is once I recognize and trust that God has a plan for me and for this world, I can step back and try, stop trying to make that happen and focus on my purpose, which is living out of the identity of who he has created me to be. And when I begin to live out of that identity, Brad hit it, when I begin to live out of that identity, it must become my priority, right? And my priority is to stand resolved for God and point others to the king. Whether you're a missionary or not, you don't get off the hook if you're not a professional missionary. Y'all, this is all of our purpose. This is all of our priority, is to live out of our identity and point others to the king. So that ties into the third uncomfortable thing, maybe the most uncomfortable thing of all. I hate when they ask me to do this. Uh, they asked me two years ago, and then this year again, uh, to be the graduation speaker. I hate doing that. Here's why. It's like a lot of people. 
there's like 400 people in the room and then all their family and friends watching the live stream at home. And also, as the, one of the teaching staff, this is the very last thing that any of us get to say before they're gone. That's kind of intimidating. And so I always pray that they won't ask me. <laughs> and they catch me by surprise every time they got me at lunch that day, and I almost had a heart attack. I could feel my heart going like this. And I was like, let me pray about it, even though I knew I was going to say yes, even though I didn't want to do it. Because it's an honor, it really is, right, to have that opportunity to speak. And that's what God has put me there for. If I say no to things like that, well, am I doing what I'm supposed to as a missionary because I'm backing away from things that are scary and hard? That's not what I'm there for. So I said yes, and I started praying about what do these kids need to hear. And it was really what we all need to hear. And Rich has been talking a lot about it lately, maybe because he, we went back and forth and he read my speech and we knew that this was a big thing to talk about. I don't know if you were talking about it before then, about being resolved, standing strong, speaking up for God in this world. And so that's kind of what I decided to talk about in the graduation speech, uh, is that our priority has to be uh, standing resolve for God and pointing others to the king. So I want to recommend a book to you. I often read um, nonfiction books. I start them and I never finish them. In fact, I think I have three by my bed right now. Um, but I actually read this whole book, and I think it was the fear of the graduation speech that motivated me to read the whole book. Um, Rich shared this morning or commented on a Toby Mac like screenshot that said it's when we're uncomfortable, that's what gets us moving. So I read the whole book, and it's a book by Lena Abajamra. What a name. Uh, she's from Lebanon, actually. That's where that name came from. Uh, she lives in Chicago. Um, she uh, has founded an organization called Living with Power, and she's written three books, and one of them is a book called Resolved, and I highly recommend it. Highly, like could not more highly recommend it. It is such a good book. Um, and just really, she's got a great style. She's loud. She's aggressive. She's funny. Um, just right up my alley. So she, um, she wrote this book about 10 things that you can do as a Christian to stand strong for God and to live your faith uh, in the world. And, and I, I chose two of those to really talk to my kids about. Um, but the first thing that you, before you can stand strong for God, you got to know him. You got to know that you're standing for the right things because even Christians, if you, I mean, you pay attention. I know you know it. You experience it way more here than we do in Hungary. Christians are fighting with each other all the time about what's truth and what's right. And they can't agree. And so you go, well, who knows the truth? Uh, it's right here. Right? It's right here. And so I, the, before you can know how to stand strong, you have to know God. And you have to know truth, right? That's the first one. Know God so you can know truth. Because he is the truth. And the way that is the most practical for us, because you go, how can we know God? He's this big, omniscient, omnipotent, you know, he's unknowable. Well, you can start with Jesus. Because Jesus came and lived on the earth to give us a character to follow. So we can see, and, and it's cliche, what would Jesus do? Right? It's super cliche because we made it that way because Christians are real good at that. But we look at the character of Christ. We study him. Right? John 8, 31 and 32, and you will know the truth. This is how you know you're my, my disciples, by remaining faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Remaining faithful to the teachings of who? 
Jesus, right? That's who's saying that. So you follow Jesus, you study his life and his character. And when you look at what people are doing or you look at what you're doing and it doesn't match the character of Christ, you better quit it because it's not right. We study his character so that we can know the truth. And when we know the truth, we can be confident of that. We can obey it because we trust him. We trust his plan. I'm going back to the plan. We trust his plan. So we obey him even when it's not the popular thing to do. Hit it, Brad. Even when it's not popular. Guess what? Is it ever popular to obey God? Nope. Right? It wasn't even popular for Jesus. What'd they do to him? They beat him. They mocked him. They arrested him. They killed him for obeying God. And you know what it says? I love this verse, 1 Peter 2, 23. When they beat him, when they mocked him, when they destroyed him, I don't know the exact words, he did not retaliate. Could he have? Oh, yeah. He did not retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He trusted and obeyed. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey, right? He trusted himself to the one who judges justly, who has a plan and is working it to completion, and he did not retaliate. He obeyed even when it wasn't popular. And we had to do that. The last thing that we have to do, the second thing I told them to do, is to speak up when it's easier not to. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's scary. But we have to speak up. Acts 4, 1, and 1 to 22, John, um, John and Peter, I think, are testifying before the Sanhedrin, and they are threatening them. They're like, you have to stop doing this. You can't keep telling people about these miracles. You can't keep telling people about Jesus. And they said, we have no choice. God has saved us. Jesus has saved us, so we must continue speaking. We must, because this is who we are. That was a paraphrase. We have to, right? And it's not easy. And we, I don't mean, this is, let me be really clear. I don't mean speak up when it's easier not to by yelling at people on Facebook. I don't mean speak up when it's easier not to by telling people they're going to burn in hell because of their political views or whatever. I have to be careful. I'll get too passionate. I mean in relationship with people. Speak up. People who you are in relationship with on a daily basis, who you know and know you and know your heart, and they don't know Jesus, speak up. Tell them about what you have found, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that he has saved you from yourself, and that you are going to spend eternity with him, and you want that for them because you love them. Who cares what they think of you? Honestly. That's hard. I was a little uncomfortable at the beach last Sunday when we were singing and praying, and I was like, oh man, I still struggle with that, fighting against the discomfort of what people think and people watching us, right, and thinking, oh, what a bunch of crazies. I still struggle with that. But we're out there, right? We have to be, because if we're not, who will? Who will? I told a story about Pendulette. You can listen to the graduation speech. Pendulette is an atheist. He, actually, I found out later he was raised in a Christian home, devoutly Christian. Uh, he's a magician, if you don't know him, uh, but he was, he's an atheist, very strongly so, and he talked about um, this guy coming up to him after a show and talking to him about Jesus, just out of the blue. So they were not in relationship, right? And so he could have been like, you're crazy, get away from me. He listened to him. And then he made a video about it, and he said, you know what impressed me the most? This guy was totally sane, came at me very politely, and told me about Jesus. 
He said, I'm still an atheist, but I respect that guy. And I don't respect anybody who believes that they have found the answer to eternity and don't tell anybody. And he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that you have found the way to eternal life and not tell them about it? That is hatred. That's like, okay, that's convicting, right? How many times have you sat on an airplane next to somebody? And they ask you what you do, and they open the door wide open, and you're like, hmm, have a good flight. Like, that's convicting for me. Because they ask me, and I say, oh, I'm a teacher at a Christian school. I'm a Christian. Enjoy your flight. What is wrong with me? It's because I'm worried about their response, about what they'll think of me, right? We have to let go of that. We are saved by an almighty God who is sovereign, who has a plan, and is working it to completion. And we have a purpose to live out of the identity that he's given us so that we can prioritize pointing people to him. That's what I do. I try to. And it's not unique to me because I'm a missionary. I say this every time I come. It's not unique to me because I'm a missionary. Every single one of you is a missionary. In your life, in your job, in your family, whatever it is. Read some of these verses. One that talks about, I can't remember which one it was, but it talks about... um, recognizing this hope that we have and teaching it to your children and passing it on and sitting before the sitting on, uh, in the house and, and passing it on to the children and passing it on. You're a missionary in your family, right? You're a missionary everywhere. I think I got to stop pretty quick, but that's, I mean, that's the gist of it, you guys. God has a plan and he's going to make it happen because his promises always come to fruition and he has promised that he will. You can consider it done. You can take it to the bank. And because he has a plan, I can step back and say, okay, you work your plan. How can I help? I can live who you've created me to be so that I reflect you and point others in your direction. That takes a lot of pressure off, right? If I could just live how he's created me to be and point people with my life, I don't have to try to solve all my problems. Let him work on it. Because he is. He is. And he's going he's gonna to do it. Maybe not the way we want, always. But he's going to do it. He's going to work it out. And it's all going to bring us closer to the ultimate reconciliation with him, which is what his plan ultimately is all about. He's drawing us to his name. So the last thing I have to, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about um, the mission that I work for. Uh, just really quickly. So thank you. I want to thank you. Many of you in this room are partners with me. Uh, obviously, I, I say this all the time, I cannot do uh, this work without you, without your partnership. Uh, and I'm not always a very good partner in terms of giving you news and information, uh, but know that I think of you, I'm thinking of you very often, um, and, uh, and I'm very grateful for you. Um, I, if you are interested, I am um, a little bit underfunded at this point. I've had a few um, partners um, couple of them pass away, actually, and, uh, and just a few partners here and there that I've lost. Um, and so I am uh, a little bit under. Uh, so if, you're, if you've been thinking about that or you have been meaning to talk to me about it or whatever, or if, you're, uh, if, God, if you feel God pulling on you today, um, uh, I would encourage you to listen, not just from a personal selfish point of view, but just because you should always listen when God's pulling on you. Uh, 
But, um, and you want to talk to me, you can, about how to uh, become a partner in this ministry uh, that we're doing. I'm heading back for year 10 uh, at ICSB. I'm really excited. Um, going back a little bit late because of Gabe's wedding. I'm not mad about it. I'm excited to get to hang out for a few more weeks. Um, but just I'm looking forward to another year of doing this, of investing in lives, learning and teaching um, as we go, and just trying to dig into God and what he has for us and, um, and, and teaching history because I am always hungry for history. I heard that. I was listening. Um, so, yeah, uh, th- let me just pray, and then I'm, should I pray? Because you're going to pray too, right? You're going to pray too. So, I mean, we can't overpray, I guess. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. I hope it wasn't too long. It was longer than it was supposed to be, but it's still only 1130, so we're okay. Um, yeah, Father God, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to... Uh, to share about what you have done in me this year, and and um, and Lord, I just pray that uh, it impacted me today, and I'm grateful for that. Just a reminder, um, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be working and speaking in in hearts today, um, even if they hated everything I said. Um, maybe they maybe there's a reason for that, <laughs> and you're making people uncomfortable, and. Um, Lord, we know that you work in the uncomfortable. And so I just pray for, uh, for you to just wash over us um, and for us to just take a step back and rest in the fact that you have a plan and that you are taking care of it and that we can live um, in who you've created us to be and we don't have to try to solve all of our problems and we don't have to be afraid because you overcome fear. You cast out fear. You do not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power. And we thank you that we have that power in you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would go from this place and that we would point people to you uh, in every interaction, in every word, in every deed, that we would point people to your kingdom um, and that we would be faithful in that, Lord. Um, Thank you for this church. Thank you for this family. Uh, the ways that they love um, and and care and partner and all of the different um, just importance that they have in my life, Lord. I thank you for this chance to share with them a bit today, and um, yeah, I just I just thank you and and give this all to you, Lord. This is all yours. In Jesus' name, Amen.